on Sunday mornings, we are in a, a, a series, but we're also in a theme for the year, and they kind of go together. Our theme is Growing in Grace, and each month we have a grace challenge, and uh, last week we passed out the grace challenge bracelets. I have mine on this morning. Uh, how many of you have a bracelet on this morning? I'm just... See, I, I can see the bright orange bracelets glowing, yes. Um, and if you didn't get one last week, and I know all of you didn't get one last week, there are uh, some extras right as you leave this middle aisle. There's uh, several boxes of the uh, kid size and then the regular size. So grab one of those. Um, it has been encouraging already to hear from some folks who have kind of taken this up. This is a, a, Lord, a, a sort of a... A little bit of an intimidating thing. What you're supposed to do is wear the bracelet upside down, which says, as you see up there, may I pray for you. And the purpose of wearing it upside down is, number one, to remind you uh, that you're supposed to actively engage in praying with people, that Lord, the Lord leads into your life, but also presents an opportunity with uh, other people that you meet. It could be uh, friends, family, strangers. Uh, Amy Dobbs posted, I believe on Facebook, that uh, she had had the opportunity with a couple of different ladies and they were, her instinct was to say, oh, okay, I'll be praying for you. Or I'll add that to my prayer list, which, you know, there's not a problem with that. But she said, I, instead, I, I turned that and I used this as an opportunity. To, and so what she said was, may I pray with you? And she just stopped and they would, and, and both of them said yes. And she had an opportunity to minister to them and to to, to be grace and to be the presence and the, the, the beauty and, and the gentleness of God's spirit and to lead another person into his presence. And I think that's good. So I hope you'll take up the challenge. hope you'll wear that bracelet as a reminder. And um, remember that wherever you are, I don't think it's by accident. I think God has you where you are and the people you meet and the interactions you have there for a purpose. So may you live according to that purpose and according to that calling. In accordance with that, on Sunday mornings, we've been talking about uh, our series called Margin. And if we think about margin, it's really God's abundant living, God's rules for abundant living. And the, the whole idea on this series called Margin is that we live within God's boundary lines. And we don't tend to like boundary lines, but uh, the boundary lines are there for a reason. They're to bless us. They're to help us as we go along. Uh, so today we're talking in, in view of margins. We're talking about parenting. And I just want to talk to this group here for a second. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that complain about your generation. Did you know that? Uh, they, they say that you're sort of, oh, that you always want a trophy for everything. That's weird. They say that you're kind of coddled and, and, and protected. You're kind of snowflakey. You, you, you get into hard situations. I don't believe that. I, I know you all went to the mountain, and that was tough. I mean, you go live on four hours of sleep every day. And they say that you're, uh, they're worried about you. And where your generation, the millennial generation, is going to take our world. I mean, they're worried about what you eat, the Tide Pods and all of that. So. There's some things that don't bode well, but can I tell you something? That it's really every generation has their little quirks and their issues. But here's the thing I love about you guys. You're independent. You're strong. 
whatever you find to do, you seem to do it with everything you have. So I think there is hope for a millennial generation. And, and don't get, let the naysayers get you down. I believe that God can use you. The difference between how God uses a generation, the difference between how God will use a group of people that come about at a certain time, all the problems you see, there's an answer for that. All the problems you see of, of this generation or any generation at this phase of life, the answer is apparent. The answer is a parent. A parent influences the next generation in powerful ways. Somebody, I think Tyler said this morning, that the, the key job of us is to make disciples. Parents are the first disciple makers. And so what you do is very important, whether whether your children are that age or whether they're the young ones and you're holding them in your arms or you're having to take them out on occasion in worship or you're back there in the parent penalty box or you're, you know, you're in the taking them to the nursery. Whatever phase you are, this matters because you are raising a generation and it's dependent upon you as to whether they will know the Lord or not. Parenting, you see, is not just procreation. Parenting is something you have to be intentional about. Proverbs chapter 22, 6, if you're following along in your Bible, you want to turn there. Read it on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you. It's a well-known verse. It's a proverb. It's a, it's a, it's a measure of wisdom. Proverbs 22, 6 says, If you will simply train up a child in the way he should go, when he's old, he'll not depart from it. And we understand that. If you're intentional and purposeful now, then you'll enjoy the blessings of that later because you've set him or her on the right path. Parents have to be intentional and thoughtful and purposeful about it, but that is so difficult. God's Word has some solid answers for us on, and specifically for parents, on how to do that. So as we look at God's Word for some solid answers, uh, let's look... First, we understand that parents are the entrusted authority. Uh, the, 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 the scripture that was just read for you by John says this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Can I clue you in? I know I appreciate some of you are, are bowing in prayer and you're, uh, you're, I, you're doing so good. But look at that one little word right there in Ephesians chapter 6. If you've got it in your Bible, underline. If it's if you got it on your iPhone, highlight it or something, because this is important. It, it says, obey your parents in the Lord, for they are... No, it doesn't say they are right. It says, for this is right. Can I tell you the truth? Just between you and me. Sometimes your parents are wrong. Sometimes they make the wrong call. But when you listen to them, when you honor them, when you obey them, you're doing what God says is right. You're learning something there. Because you're, your life's going to be whole, full of authorities. Bosses who are wrong and teachers who are wrong and just all sorts of people in your life who are above you, but they completely don't know what they're talking about. The first lesson in your life that you learn is that God has authorities in your life for a reason. He wants you to obey them, not because they're always right, but because God says this 
is right. Underline that word this. Because there will be times when they make a call and you don't agree with it. And you don't have to agree with it. But God says you do have to listen to it and yield to it and obey it and honor them in so doing. Honor the Lord by honoring your parents for this is right. Honor the Lord, honor your father and mother, which is the first promise and commandment with the promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children, but bring them up in the training and in the instruction of the Lord. If children honor their parents, then they, the parents can do what God has called them and what they alone can do and are supposed to do. It is a parent's job, the fourth, fourth verse, to bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. There, there is no one else that's supposed to raise your child. Understand me now. Hear me now. There is no one else that God cares about how they raise your child except how you raise your child. It's not the government's job. It's not the church's job. It's not the school's job. It's no one else's job but for you to raise your child. It is not the village's job to raise your child. It is your mother and your father's job of that child to raise that child. Now, does the school, does the church... Do other people and places have influence and an impact? You better believe they do. But it's your job to raise them and to raise them up in the instruction of the Lord. And, and that's the thing, that that's your number one job is to make disciples of your little children. Your number one job as a parent is not to make them a world-class athlete. Now, your child may become a world-class athlete, but according to God, he does not care if they become a world-class athlete or not. Your job is not to raise a Rhodes Scholar. Now, you may raise a Rhodes Scholar, but that, according to God, that's not your job. Number one job is to raise them in the training and the instruction of the Lord, that they may know Christ and grow into Christ under your stewardship of them. May we not forget that, parents. we got a, one job to do. Th- and to do that, he's put us in charge. Your family, as God designed it, is not designed to be a democracy. Everyone does not get a vote. Well, my children get a vote in our household, but it doesn't matter. We live in the home of benevolent dictators. And God said it that way. He set the parents in charge because this is right. And if parents are doing their job and children are doing their job, then we can raise them in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And you can understand that as a parent, when you tell your child yes or no, those are complete and perfect sentences. And you will not like this. I I know I'm going to get thrown. You're going to throw tomatoes at me or whatever. But if your parents, if you object to something and you say, but why? A perfectly wonderful answer is because I said so. And and that's biblical. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. You know, I've been in charge of different things. And here's the thing about leadership. No matter what you do. There's always a critic out there throwing a, a, you know, they're they're sniping you and say, well, you know what? Here's the deal. When you're in leadership, 
You have to have this attitude. I may be wrong. In fact, I often am wrong. But it's my call to make. That's what I'm here to do. Elders have to have that attitude. We may be wrong. We often are. But it's our job through prayer and discernment and the spirit to make the call. And your parents are often wrong from time to time. But it's their call to make. And it's not your job to question it. So, as we think about parents and understand that they're the entrusted authority, I want you to think, parents, as yourselves as stewards of your children. This idea of stewardship is the idea that your children are not your own. They are from God. Given to you. Do you ever ask yourself why you have your children? And you may be answering because God has a sense of humor. God gave you your children for a reason. He needs them to come closer to Jesus. And he needs someone who understands how they think, how they speak, what, what makes them tick. And you alone can do that. So may you understand that your role as a parent is not permanent. You are simply a steward and your goal is to bring them to know Christ. Psalm chapter 127 is a scripture that is on the screen, but if you want to turn there. Psalm 127 verse 3 says this about children. Sons, children are a heritage from the Lord. Children, a reward from him. You see, every blessing that God gives... Every blessing, whether great or small, comes with it the equal amount of responsibility. And if you've been blessed with children, then God's given you the responsibility to raise those children and make the calls as you see fit that seem best for them in order for them to know Christ. And so parenting as a steward requires all parents to remember the golden rule of parenting. In fact, you'll probably want to write this. You guys know the golden rule, right? The golden rule is this, simply this. Uh, those with the gold make the rules. You're in charge. Uh, you, as parents, set the rules for your household. You set the time for bedtime. You set the, how much screen time they get. You decide when they get a cell phone and a smartphone. The problem as parents is, especially in this world, over and over and over again, we're just scrolling. Oh, look what those parents did. Oh, look what those parents did. Oh, look what those parents did. And we're making our decisions based on what the, where the water level is. And that is the most unwise way to make a decision. Because what works for everybody else may or may not work for your child. Parents, mind your household, not everyone else's. Because you, you parent your household and every parent, every household varies and it's according to the wishes and the rules of the parents that rule that house. We got to stop comparing. We got to make the decisions that are right for our house. Remember what Joshua said, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Okay, that, that makes it, that takes all the pressure off of us as parents because we get to make the call. Um, I hate to pick on this. It's the only example I could really come up with from my personal experience. Okay, I had a 13-year-old. Okay, a lot of 13-year-olds have a smartphone, not mine. 
Okay? Now, I am not judging anyone who's here who has a third. I mean, there are some parents that, that, you know, as soon as the kid's born, you know, they're wiping them down. They hand them a smartphone. I mean, that's kind of how it's working. No judgment. That's their child. I have to parent based on what God has worked on my heart with my child. And the phone he has, call and text, welcome to 1994, you know, that's fine. It'll work great for him. And when I and his mother decide that it's time for him to have a smartphone, we'll train him how to use that. But a lot of parents go, oh, what's everybody else doing? What's this parent doing? What's that parent doing? Well, they seem like good parents. Well, what about this? I don't know. Listen, take all the pressure off yourself and you and your spouse have a discussion and pray about it and, and think about where that child is and what they struggle with and the temptations they have and all of that and say, is it wise to put the unleashed power of the Internet in their hands at this point in their life? They're going to get that someday. I get it. But your job as a parent is to make those calls unashamedly and stop making those calls based on what everybody else does. What everybody else doesn't matter. You are called to parent your household. So. It's important. Now, to do that, you got to learn a couple of very important words. We set this as a foundation for the whole series. Okay, The word yes, a lot of parents like to say yes. A lot of parents think that's the only word you should say. I'm convinced that most of the problems within the family, within this upcoming generation, has to do with the fact that enough parents don't learn that there's a second word there, and it's a full sentence. It's two letters. Oh, it's... Can you can you practice it with me this morning? It because it is so. Somebody just said no. <laughs> the uh, yeah. Okay, so what you do is because I know some of you aren't familiar with this word, but what you do is you put your mouth into kind of a puckering face, like you're giving a kiss, and then you put your tongue at the top of the mouth, and you're, it's all coming from the nose right here. The the best nose come. I mean, there's a whole lot of nasal right here, and then at the point where you feel like you're ready for them to receive the blast that they're about to get, you let that tongue drop and the air flow across your lips in the form of an O, and it sounds like the no. Let's practice it together because none of you were in me. The little one, three, little one, two, three. No, that is a full sentence. Doesn't that sound good? Oh, you are going to hate me this week. I tell you what, you cannot. Why did he teach them that word? So many problems come with parents simply refusing to parent. And the simplest thing you can do is to acquiesce or not acquiesce to, to use that powerful word. No. And it's a full sentence. Jesus told people that he loved, no, no, Peter, we're not going to make my kingdom political because my kingdom is not of this world. No, we're not going to take up swords. No, we're not going to. Now, he said yes to some other things, but he knew the difference and he knew it was a full sentence. Parents, we got to understand that example. I heard a funny one yesterday. Um, Beth Davis is here and she told me I could share this. So with Carrie, when he. They were at this phase where the girls were dating. They were about this phase of life. And one of the girls had a, had a uh, gentleman caller, shall we say. And uh, he wasn't really a gentleman, though. He knocked at the door. Carrie opened the door. And here is this dude. Hasn't shaved. Sloppy. Piercings. Tattoos. He just steps back. And he kind of laughs. He says, oh, no, dude. And he closes the door. You know what that is? That's 
parenting. That's setting boundaries. And so many of the, I mean, have you heard of the new thing called babies? Babies are uh, this generation of parents refusing to say the word no to their children are now deciding that they're going to let the children pick their own gender. I know he has this or has this uh, chromosomes and this genetics and, and these body parts, but we're going to let Junior pick what he wants to be, whether a boy or girl. No. You train your sons to be gentlemen. You train your girls to be young ladies. They're different. Parents, parents work together on that. May we not forget that you, as God sees it, are the entrusted authority. I'm just wondering if he'll line us up by families on Judgment Day. And when the children step forward, and there's some things that will happen, he may look just over them to the parents and say, And where were you? Who was the one guiding them? Who protected them? Why'd you let them slip? Don't forget, parents, you hold a responsibility. You are the entrusted authority. Secondly, we had to go quick. The parents must enforce effectively. Turn to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13 is a chapter not so much on parenting, but it is about authority. Authority, and this is so amazing to me. Now, I want you to not think of this about government, okay? I do think that applies here, but think of this from what we're talking about today. Verse, chapter 13, verse 1. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority. There is no authority except that which... God established. Did you get that written down? Your parents want me to make sure you underline that. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. I hate to come back down here because this is important. And those who do so bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. You want to be fear, free from the fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right. We, as parents, have that authority, and parents, we have to use it, and children have to understand that that authority was given to us, given to us by God, and it's pretty useless without enforcement. You can make rules, you can say yes, no all day long, and there's lots of parents who do, and then they completely ignore what they told their children they would do or not do. They don't, they don't keep their standards, they're constantly moving. Ephesians 6, 4 says, do not exasperate your children. You know what exasperates your children? Constantly moving standards. Constantly moving standards. You tell them, well, don't listen. Don't, you got to avoid that peer pressure. You got to pay attention to your friends. Your, your friends will lead you to do the wrong things. But then you say, well, why don't you do this so you could get with that in crowd? Or why don't you do that so you could get with these popular kids? I mean, right? So you're giving two standards here. One is popularity and acceptance by the world. And the other is you got to watch out for popularity and acceptance by the world. You have to 
enforce effectively. You have to have consistent standards. You have to discipline. You cannot have discipline without having a disciple. Hebrews 5.8 says that Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. He, he learned obedience. We think we just use instantly obedient. Jesus had to learn an element of obedience, and he did that through what he suffered. Parents, you've got to understand, it's your job to discipline and to bring an element of suffering to your children. We hate that. It's so hard to do. But whether you are spanking a young child, using a belt on a behind, putting soap in their mouth, uh, restricting their Wi-Fi, grounding them, uh, removing all their privileges, taking the car keys, all of that is discipline. And it's for the child's good that a parent will do that. Now, in our age, we're getting away from that. Little children now hardly get spankings at all. And the new thing is something called a thought spot. I'm not picking on you if you use this, but it's a little spot that you make for a child to sit on when they do something wrong. And the two-year-old is supposed to give deep thought to his or her actions. If a two-year-old's thinking at all, he's like, I'm just glad I got out of this. That's all he's thinking. There is a time for thoughtful discipline, but that comes at a time when they can handle it. Two and three and four year olds understand a measure of discipline. Uh, We see this. I mean, there's good parents all the time in here that are, you know, children get loud and fussy and they take them out, you know, or they're misbehaving. They take them out and they swat them a little bit and they bring them back in. One time we had that happen. They're taking a little. He was probably four or five year olds and he's hanging over his shoulder, just screaming bloody murder. And as he's leaving the door, he's yelling, pray for me, pray for me, because he knows what's going to happen. Those parents were being effective enforcers at that age so that 10 years later, they wouldn't have to do it anymore. And sometimes we'll see parents come down here when you got teens that are not paying attention or that are distracting one another. And you'll, you'll see a parent get up and do, you know, do the walk here and it's, you know, and then they grab the teenager. I wouldn't pick on you, but, uh, and grab them and just take them back to sit where they were seated. I was sitting, this one when I was in youth ministry and I was sitting behind the youth group section and I was watching this as this happened one day and the parent came down and pulled out a young lady who was not doing what she was supposed to do. And this parent's doing their job. And there's two boys in front of me, and they're kind of having this conversation because they didn't say, they said, what happened? And, he's, and the other looks at the other and he says, she's having a come to Jesus moment. <laughs> parents, bring your children to Jesus, even if that's here at church. Okay, that's good parenting. That's effective enforcement. Let's look at Proverbs quickly. Proverbs chapter 13, uh, verse 24. I love, I love that. Whoops. That would be Psalms, not Proverbs. Proverbs 13, verse 24. He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is careful to discipline. Flip on over to Proverbs 29. Such good wisdom for parents here. Discipline your son. And he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. The truth is, parents, if you'll raise your kids now, you'll get to spoil your kids later. 
I know some of you parents, you're thinking, I don't want to be so harsh on my kids. I don't want them to hate me. I don't want to, I just, you toughen up, buttercup. There's going to be a time when you get to spoil them all you want, and it's called being a grandparent. My daughter spent an, a night and evening at Camp Grandma the other day, and you know, I always tell Grace to be good, you know, but there's nobody to spank Grandma. Grandmas do what they want to do, and that's great. Spoil them. That's the fruit of raising your children. So parents must be the uh, effective enforcers. But the greatest power that parents have is the power of setting an extraordinary example. This last couple of weeks ago, Kylie Miller posted on my page. uh, She wrote this. Thank you for posting Sunday sermons. Such a challenging and uplifting thing to consider. Hadley tossed forth her cookies down the front of my clothes and onto the floor in the auditorium right before services. So we had to make a break for it and didn't hear all the sermon. Yes, we have reached the my kid puked at church level of parenting. But some, something happened as we were leaving that I wanted everyone to know. I looked back right before we walked out the door. And Brent Groves and Jim Weathers were leaving the auditorium carrying a trash can and handfuls of paper towels. They were there cleaning up our mess, along with several other wonderful people I didn't see but wish I had. The way they walked, you'd think that cleaning up puke was just another day for them. It struck me in a special way. Two dignified men, one a shepherd of our congregation, stooping to do such a lowly job. It made me think of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. Such a good example and one I can definitely learn from. That's a powerful example from all who read it and from maybe all who saw it happen. But the most impactful part of that example was to Brady Weathers. Because he saw his dad doing what was right. That's how parents are so powerful and so effective. It doesn't mean parents don't make rules and need to talk to their children and all that. But how they learn the gospel and how they learn to walk in it. It's by watching you walk in it. This is what Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, a scripture that's well known when it comes to parents. But, but what, what God says to his people there is this. He's talking about their example. These commandments, I day, are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. How? Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, when you go to church and a little child has tossed their cookies. You, you are showing them what it means to be a servant of Jesus. Doing right exceeds being right. Because more is caught than is taught with parenting. May we not forget that the, the dangerous truth of this is that what children see is what children do. It looks like rain. Again today, dark clouds gather and fill the sky. Don't know how to talk to you, just know how to say goodbye.
Parents, by the power of your example, you make an eternal difference. It really matters. The kind, not just the words you believe, not just the rules you set, but the life that you live in front of your children. That's how parents make an example which makes an eternal difference. There are so many parents today worried and, and all up in angst about what kind of planet they're going to leave to their children. That's the wrong thing to worry about. The right thing to worry about is what kind of children are you going to leave to the planet. And that is in your hands. You've got to decide where you're going to raise them up in the uh, instruction of the Lord. The greatest blessing you give your children, of course, is faith in Jesus Christ himself. They need to see it in you. They need to hear him from you. They need to see his life in your life. And if you haven't been doing that as a parent, I want to encourage you to repent and and even maybe if need be apologize and say to your children, you know, I haven't been parenting you. I haven't been raising you. I haven't been the authority in your life, but I'm going to start now. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, Paul said this to young Timothy. He said, I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice. And I am persuaded now lives in you as well. You see, Lois and Eunice, they had an impact, an eternal one, to young Timothy. And Paul saw that because of how they parented and what they chose to impact in young Timothy's life. Now, a couple caveats before we finish, because tough subject this morning. Number one, there is no perfect parent. We all have fallen short, especially in our parenting. And there's not a parent here who's made some wrong calls and who wishes they could go back and undo those things. You can't. But Jesus can forgive those things, and he can still work through those things. And you may blame yourself, but you need to understand God was a perfect parent. And even when he parented perfectly, his children still rebelled and disobeyed and sinned. So don't carry all the weight of the children's decisions on you. Number two, uh, kind of goes along with that, grown kids have free will. They've got to make their own decisions. We lead them to Christ, but they have to decide, like Garrett Yeoman last week. I mean, he decided for himself that he was going to follow Jesus. And that's a beautiful thing. This morning, if you're ready to follow Jesus, if you haven't put him on in baptism, if you haven't been forgiven of your sins, if you haven't received the gift of the Holy Spirit, all that happens, Scripture says, in the water. Nothing magical in the water, but it's powerful because Jesus said to do it. So we do it so that we become a Christian and it becomes the beginning of a wonderful, powerful journey. If you are not in Christ and you'd like to know him this morning, please come. And if you've been in Christ but you've wandered away, and you need our help, our prayers, we'd be glad to help you in whatever way. Please come this morning as together we stand and sing.